0: Peak Performance offers a revolutionary ED solution scientifically proven to increase blood flow, sensitivity, and sexual performance. All with no side effects, no surgery, and no pills. Call 1-800-210-8181 today for a free evaluation.
1: This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st Century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall.
2: And good evening. We are back once again with a different perspective and I truly am Kevin Randall. I make no bones about it that 's who I am i 'm going to be joined here momentarily with uh, by Don ecker and we 're going to be talking about some of the things going on in MUFON, their program of uh, secrets their their secret space program symposium they're holding here in a few days, uh, NASA and things of that nature. Uh, Don is a good friend of mine. I've known him for a long, long time. We've hung out together. We've done things together. We're both Vietnam veterans, which puts us on a different plane uh, and that sort of thing. So I I know Don very well. And he is a writer, researcher and commentator. He's currently living in the Los Angeles area. For those of you who want to try to search him out, Uh, he served as the director of research Uh, and media liaison for UFO magazine for about 20 years. He is an internationally renowned investigator of the UFO phenomenon, a former law enforcement officer and criminal investigator with over 10 years experience. He has brought legitimacy to the field that has suffered from the lack of legitimacy for a long, long time. And we're going to get into some of that uh, in in just a few minutes. Uh, He has written numerous articles for the definitive UFO publication, UFO magazine as well as articles for international publications in the United Kingdom, such as their Fortean Times, Omni, and he's been on various uh, computer databases and servers like that. Uh, Don has hosted his own weekly national radio show, UFOs Tonight, on the Cable Radio Network for five years, and most recently, Strange Days, five nights a week. And he um, is currently hosting... His uh, show on the Cameo Cyber Station USO at, at network, which is, of course, known as Dark Matters. He has uh, recently completed his novel. I guess not recently, but he completed his novel, Past Sins. It is published by Gateway Publishing. And he's been on lots and lots of television. And for those of who would like to see his books and that sort of thing, you can visit that at uh, Amazon.com, of course, and uh, put in... Past Sins, Don Ecker, and you can get to it. Now, with all of that out of the way, welcome, Don Ecker.
3: Well, thank you, Kevin. Once again, I'm back. I was uh, here months and months and months ago, and uh, then I thought you forgot me, but apparently not.
2: <laughs> I've forgotten a lot of people because I'm getting old and decrepit, so my my mind is shot. Yeah, but my,
3: If my voice sounds a little uh, rocky, I... I, you know, for the last three weeks, I've been taking care of my wife, who's had a really virulent summer cold, and I thought I was going to skip it again, and it hit me last week, and I think I'm through the worst of it, but boy, I'll tell you, it's been a long week.
2: I know how that can be. I try to avoid that at all costs. It's just not a good thing. Um but I was, I was going to say before i so rudely interrupted, and I am the host, so I should not be rudely interrupted, that um, I got caught up in this MUFON thing with the racist rant by John Ventry and then the nonsense put out by Jan Harzan and sort of a support of Ventry that's caused a lot of things. And uh, I've done a couple of articles about that, which have caused me some grief which uh, we'll get into as well. But I thought that we would talk about some of the goings on at move and what you know about it and that sort of thing. Remembering that we just have a f- about a minute or two minutes left before we have to take our first break. So uh, tell me what you know about move in two minutes.
3: Oh, in two minutes or <laughs> less, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I, when I,
3: when I came back from from uh, the military and uh, I became a police officer for the first time, um, I was in central Western Pennsylvania. and surprisingly, and i I had heard nothing about it. Of course, I had been overseas, but i I found out I discovered that uh, a UFO incident had happened in the jurisdiction that I was a police officer in. Now, one of the first things I noticed, being a trained observer, Kevin, you'll understand that, was a, a I think if I remember correctly, it's been a long time, it was an 800 number, I believe, and it said four UFO sightings call this number.
2: And let's take a break right there because we're about to call that number, but I've got to take a break to uh, pay a few bills here. So we'll do that. We will be back with Don Ecker, uh, who is a well-known UFO researcher writer. So stick around.
1: Remember, 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365.
2: And as promised, I am back with Don Ecker, and when we went away, he was about to dial an 800 number. Uh, He was in Pennsylvania UFOs, and he will be dialing an 800 number, so let's carry on from that point.
3: Yeah, actually, I, I never called the number. I never had a reason to call the number, but I was, of course, curious about that. Now, Kevin, you and I have talked before about this, and I may have even mentioned this on your radio show, but in 1966, I, along with three other friends, and it was in December, had a... Absolutely astounding UFO sighting when we were deer hunting uh, up around an area known in in my area back home as the Horseshoe Curve. It was a very famous railroad engineering thing that uh, the Pennsylvania Railroad, whoever owned it back in the 1850s, had put in. And it was literally a horseshoe-shaped mountain where this track ran around it. Now, we had been up there all day long deer hunting. This is uh, sometime in probably the second week of December, second or third week. And as we were coming home one late afternoon, about 4, 4.30, we were overflown by four brilliant Lights in a diamond formation, UFOs that uh, basically were uh, uh, flying in a in a formation, and as they overflew us, they suddenly shot straight up in the sky. All of them, uh, well, one shot straight up in the sky. The other three, which were now in a V formation, took off in a tremendous burst of speed. So I knew that there had to be something to this UFO thing. And I, I of course, was familiar with uh, people like Frank Edwards. I was familiar with uh, Major Donald Kehoe and the NICAP situation. I, I uh, had been following, you know, as as it happened in, in uh, 67-68, the uh, Colorado UFO study that was being uh, financed by the Air Force.
2: So well, let, me, I, let me interrupt you here. You said you saw these UFOs. I, that's a pretty broad term. Can you tell us what they exactly looked like, exactly what they looked like?
3: Four arc lights. They were that brilliant. They were that bright. They were lit up like, a, like an arc light, like, like looking at somebody with an arc welder. That's how bright they were.
2: But you didn't see any shape or anything. You just saw no, the bright no, lights. No okay. shape. Okay. So now you're you're you heard about the Condon Committee at the University of Colorado and the study going on there about UFOs.
3: Right, that was a couple of years later. But but my point was, yes, I was familiar with. Thank you. You're welcome, Sweetie. Have a good day. The demand for healthcare professionals
0: who deliver both comfort and critical care is growing. FindNursingSchools.com connected me with an accelerated bachelor's of nursing degree program in my area with expanded
2: capacity so I could complete the program in 16 months. Now I'm on the path to an in-demand career that offers job stability, flexible schedules, competitive pay,
3: and the choice of where to work. Visit FindNursingSchools.com to begin your journey today.
0: The we're going family style deal because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your Côte d'Ivoire. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer.
3: With UFOs. Although at that time, I had not done any uh, investigating or anything like that. I mean, I was just an interested civilian. And now I was an interested civilian police officer. So I did a little checking around, and I found out about a woman uh, who, uh, and this was probably about the time I was in Vietnam, who had been married to a police officer in that area that had literally, according to the report, been run off the road by a UFO. Now, that sounds astounding, right? Now, how does that tie into MUFON? Well, as I discovered, the MUFON journal, which had been uh, published, and this was after uh, Walt Andrus had, had taken files from Jim and Coral Lorenzen uh, to begin his own organization, unbeknownst to Jim or Coral Lorenzen, and uh, had begun his his organization, they had received a report and had written it up in the MUFON journal.
2: Uh, let me interrupt you here because I, I just want to make one quick point. Uh, the original publication was called Skylook and it morphed into the MUFON journal. So it, it could have been in Skylook before it was in the MUFON journal, which is really a point of trivia that's of no importance unless somebody wants to go back and look the things up. So you've got to be aware that the MUFON journal was preceded by Skylook. So um, it was written up in their publication, whichever the name happened to be at the time.
3: Yes, that's correct. That's correct. Now, I just kind of filed that somewhere in the back of my mind, and it was, you know, lying in there unused for many years after that. Now, in 1986-1987... I was living in the state of Idaho, and uh, I was going back, uh, taking some classes, some computer classes, and this is incidentally after I medically retired uh, from the police department. I was taking some classes in computer science, and through a couple of people, I met a gentleman who actually did not live more than a couple of miles from me, who at the time was the MUFON state director for the state of Idaho. Don Mason was his name. And we became friendly and we started talking about some of this and invariably it it moved into the field of the weird because uh, as you will recall, Kevin, the last time I was on your show, I was talking about human mutilations, right? Yes, you did mention that. And we ended up talking about that Apparently, it was a hunter that had been discovered dead and mutilated, and then we started talking about the general overall of, of UFO. So Don said to me, "Why don't you become a member of of MUFON and we can work together on this stuff as as a member?" And I ultimately did for one year, and I became a a section. Uh, director, if if I recall, if that's what it was called. Now, as time went along, about 87, 88, somewhere in there, uh, I noticed that Don Mason was becoming very discouraged with the MUFON people. Now, he was one of those those guys that was a real doer, okay, very action-oriented. And he had some really wonderful ideas, especially being in the northwest of the United States. There had been quite a few uh, sightings around there in places like Montana, Nevada, Oregon, state of Washington, and, of course, Idaho. And he contacted the international director, who at that time was still Walt Andrus. And anytime Don had come across any cases, anything that he was involved in, he would send these reports into MUFON. And uh, as he described it to me, and he, he was by this time very upset, as he described it to me, he said, it's like sending this stuff into a black hole. Now, when he tried to get Andrus to. Furnish him with the, with the names and the telephone numbers of these various states surrounding our state of Idaho, people from Nevada, Oregon, Washington, Montana, what have you. Andrus refused to do it. Now, why in the world he would do that is beyond me. I have no idea. And as a result, and I'm watching this, I became somewhat disillusioned. But after a year went by, I let my membership lapse. I saw no benefit myself in, in maintaining it. And, uh, but I began to get involved in some of my own investigations. And one of them, of course, was the human mutilation thing. Now, back in, in those days... 1987, 88, 89, there was an up and coming rising star in the UFO field. And at that time, there was quite a bit of actual investigation going on with people like you and your partner, then Don Schmidt, people like Bruce McAbee, people like, uh, Stanton Friedman, people like Linda Moulton Howell, people like, I, you get my idea, there were a lot of people that were trying to do a lot of things, and this rising star that I had mentioned was a guy by the name of John Lear. Now, John Lear was the son of William Lear, of Lear Jet fame.
2: I was going to say we 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 all know as Bill Lear who of course is the Lear Jet guys and there was a great scene in one of the Flint movies, Derek Flint movies, where uh, he goes up to the uh, Lear Jet and he asks the guy, the mechanic, uh, "Did you get my plane washed?" And he says, "No, Mister Flint, got you a new plane." And the guy was Bill Lear. That's. So Irrelevant to UFOs, it was just a nice little story of Bill Lear. And I don't mean to interrupt, but I did. But so did the it? rising star is John Lear. Not, the, not Bill, but John Lear. Right. Bill Lear was dead. So,
3: so John Lear was appointed by Walt Andrus as the state director for the state of Nevada. Now, in the year of 1989, Nevada hosted the International Symposium. Now, months before this was to take place, I had already made the acquaintance of John Lear. And the reason I did, this was the latter part, the very latter part of 1987-1988. I was a member and a, uh, uh, a user and an administrator of the first actual computer network devoted to primarily UFOs but other aspects of what could be called the paranormal and that was called Paranet. Now Paranet was begun by a guy down in Fountain Hills, Arizona by the name of Jim or James Spicer. Now they had on CompuServe which back in those days, was one of the very few places other than computer bulletin boards that you could go to and interact with people literally not only around the country but around the world. And there was a a, uh, section on CompuServe called the Issues Forum. Now, Kevin, you probably will recall a lot of this. But that's where a lot of computer-using aficionados of UFOs and other aspects uh, of the paranormal congregated. Now, at $6.40 an hour, because you got charged for it, you could go up there. And that, incidentally, is at 300 baud, which, if you don't know what that is, look it up. And if if, uh, you had a a blazing fast 1,200-baud telephone modem, the cost shot up to over 12 bucks an hour.
2: Well, let me interrupt here because we're going to have to take a break. And I want to mention that when I got my first computer, it had uh, 64K of memory. And my latest computer plays music at 128K per second. So, I mean, we're talking old days when computers had very little memory and very little capability, but we were able to communicate at great expense with one another. We will be back with Don Ecker to talk a little bit more about this and get into some of the issues about MUFON and that sort of thing. Uh, For those of you who just were in Roswell and are interested, take a look at my book, Roswell in the 21st Century, which should give you quote a different perspective on what that is but we will be back right after this so please stick around
0: For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net.
2: And we have returned from the commercial messages. I'm joined with Don Ecker. And before before we get back to Don Ecker, let me just say this, that uh, I think that, you know, those of you who are interested in this program should take a look at uh, some of the other programs on the Zone Broadcast Network. So take a look at XZBN.net, and you can find a list of the programs, the hosts, and maybe something else that will interest you as well. So take a look at that when you get a chance. Anyway, Don, when we left... <laughs> the we're going family style deal because i want a bite of your big mac and i
0: need some of your i'll try your filet of fish there's a deal for every friend group at mcdonald's order any two classics for just six bucks price of participation may vary single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer the future will be amazing and that's all well and good but what about today you can feel the rush of a 400 horsepower nissan z Or climb to new heights in the all-terrain Nissan Frontier. Light up the road in the all-electric Nissan Aria that feels like a sci-fi dream come true. The future will be great, but today is made for thrill. All you have to do is get in a Nissan and drive. 2023 Aria and Z not yet available for purchase. Expected availability is this spring for 2023 Z and this fall for 2023 Aria.
2: You were talking about your horrendously slow computers and dial-up internet with modems.
3: Right. Which well, is what,
2: the Dark Ages. What
3: what I discovered was a paper that John Lear had uploaded to Paranet, and it made it to CompuServe. And basically, this was the infamous John Lear document making allegations about secret government uh, uh, treaties made with an alien nation, extraterrestrials, allowing them to come down, abduct human beings, and just a whole lot of things. I mean, if you're interested, you can look it up. But when I read it, I was so outraged by some of these allegations that I I tracked down John's nearest phone number, and I called him up. We ended up having about a a a three-and-a-half-hour telephone conversation. And a week later, he sent me UPS – a package that must weigh close to 10 pounds of all kinds of documents that he was using to support his thesis, along with some uh, videotapes, VHS tapes, that uh, had some rather astounding information on it. One of them, which later was to figure into research I conducted in the 90s, was a... a, a, was a uh, not a photo, but a, a videotape of something flying across the moon, leaving a shadow on the lunar surface as this spherical-shaped craft overfluid, it, and it was allegedly filmed by Japanese astronomers. Now, I then began uh, a somewhat uh, tenuous communication with Lear, and I told him about my human mutilation research that I was by then conducting well he ended up calling me up and he said look I'm hosting the International MUFON symposium down in in, uh, Vegas uh, in July and he said I want to have you and several other people come in and speak also if you're willing to do it and he told me all what was going on this was on an off day a Sunday And uh, this actually, other than the infamous William Moore, Bill Moore lecture, was the, the other part of the symposium that created such a fantastic stir back in 1989. I thought about it and I agreed. So when the symposium was happening, I flew down to Vegas. Now as I was checking into the hotel, I saw a couple of guys standing off to the side. And one of them, as I was to find out, was the international director of MUFON, uh, Walt Andrus. And I didn't know Andrus at that time. Although at that time, by then I was the director of research for UFO magazine. Now, UFO Magazine in those days was the magazine of record on the UFO subject. There were a couple of other publications that were out there, but nobody could hold a candle, and I'll be very upfront when I say that, and I'd argue with anybody, about our type of of reporting and uh, the people that we had in the magazine. So this guy walked up to me, and uh, I looked at him. He was a much smaller man than I was. I'm 6'2". I looked down at him, and I smiled, and he said, You're Don Ecker. And I said, That's right. He said, I'm Walt Andrus, International Director of MUFON. I said, Well, how do you do? And I held out my hand. He didn't shake it. Okay, and I got to tell you, that, that irritated me. And he looked at me and he said, I want you to know that if you speak at John Lear's alternative thing on Sunday, that you will never again be invited to speak anywhere at Move On.
2: Oh, you must have been crushed.
3: That that's a hell of a that's a hell of a way to introduce yourself to somebody, right? Yes. <laughs> so I <laughs> looked, I looked at him. And I smiled and I said, OK, I turned away. Well, of course, I spoke. And of course, <laughs> I never received another invitation. But I thought to myself, this arrogant little bastard just screwed with the wrong people. OK, we are the magazine of record. So I kind of kept that in my mind for years. Well,
2: let me me interrupt you here because I also have a a, a Walt Andrus story, and it was after Don and I had been to Roswell a number of times, and uh, Andrus seemed annoyed uh, about the amount of money we were spending and wanted to know who was financing us. I think he thought that we were somehow taking money out of the MUFON coffers. And of course, we were spending our own money on it, hoping that by selling a book, we might be able to recoup some of the money that we had spent. But we had uh, uh, found Gerald Anderson, or actually Anderson had called me first before he talked to anybody else. And we talked for a while. And it pretty much became clear after a while that Anderson wasn't really being the most honest of witnesses. But MUFON did a big thing about Anderson in their journal and, and Carpenter interviewed him and all of this sort of – John Carpenter, I'm sorry. John Carpenter interviewed him uh, about this and this story. And Anders came up to me at the MUFON conference and said, I was flat out wrong about Anderson and the truth will out. And I thought, well, that was kind of a mean thing to say. But most of the people were very anti-Randall and very pro-Anderson. Of course, we now know that Anderson was not telling the truth. He had made up the whole story. And all those people, of all those people who came up to uh, criticize my take on Anderson, Antonio Junius was the only one that apologized and said that he'd been wrong and I'd been right about about, uh, Anderson. So it's kind of the same thing.
3: For what it's worth. I always supported you because I knew how meticulous you were in your research and investigation. So when you came out and said, this guy is not telling the truth, or whatever it's worth, I took you at face value. Well, I appreciate
2: that. I appreciate that.
3: Let me get back to this MUFON.
2: So now you're you're banned from MUFON. You're a persona non grata MUFON. So
3: I, I uh, basically, back in those days, we made our bones in doing a long series of exposés on fraudulent people in the UFO field. Now, the list is too long to really go into, but some of the names were people like William Cooper, people like Mel Noel, also known as Guy Kirkwood, people like George Green, and a long list of, of others, and we caught a tremendous amount of flack. But the reason we did that, we felt that in order for anyone to take this topic seriously, we had to be willing to show the frauds for what they were, frauds, and we had to really go after the, the tough aspects of of cases that came our way, and there were a lot of cases then. And Kevin, you will recall that back in those days, not a week went by when there were not at least two, three, or four television shows on every week that covered the topic, the UFO topic. Now, one of the people that I did a massive expose on was a guy by the name of, well, he was originally identified by Timothy Good in Good's book Above Top Secret as Mel Noel, a former Air Force interceptor pilot. And according to what, what uh, Good had written in his first edition of his book, was this guy was a Air Force F-86 saber jet pilot that had flown reconnaissance aircraft out of a secret site in Utah, and whenever they would detect something unidentified on on their radar scopes, they would send these guys up to uh, shoot footage of it. Now, this was the story. Now, unfortunately for Guy Kirkwood, also known as Mel Noel, and also known as Noel Bryce Cornwall, this wasn't the case. As a matter of fact, he had never even been in the military. We had a U.S. congressman out here back in those days by the name of Bob Dornan. B-1 Bob is what he was known by.
2: And Well, let, yeah. me, let me point out B-1 referred to the B-1 bomber, which he was supporting.
3: That's correct. So. But he had a brother by the name of Don Dornan. Who had been a photographer and a reporter for look magazine now, back in those days, that was a huge publication. Well, something came up when i started I had met this guy down in in San Diego, and somebody had introduced me to him and introduced him as a former air force pilot and what have you and i sat down, and I talked with him for maybe a half hour 45 minutes, and he was a great guy, charming, nice, and, oh, my God, did he have stories. Well, to make a long story short, I said he was going by the name Guy Kirkwood then. I said, Guy, I said, I'd love to do a a, a story in UFO Magazine. Now, look, all I need from you is a copy of your DD-214. Now, for those that may not know what a DD-214 is, it's a document you receive from the armed forces when you separate, okay? And it has the list of everything you did in the military, any decorations, any awards, your rank, and what have you. Well, he assured me, I'll get that out and I'll let you know. Well, a year went by, a year, and I never heard from him. And I kind of, be honest, I kind of forgot about it until... A TV show came on one week with Linda Moulton Howe introducing Guy Kirkwood as this pilot. Well, suddenly, we began getting snowed under by people calling up and said, this guy's a fraud. He was exposed back in the 60s. Well, I did some research, and I discovered by God he was. So that's how I got on to Don Dornan, Bob Dornan's brother, We contacted him and ended up meeting him one afternoon for about four and a half, almost five hours. He brought all his material from an expose he did on Kirkwood, and he gave it to me. As a matter of fact, Kevin, I still have all that stuff right here. Well, I took it back to the office, and I ended up doing this massive expose on Guy. Well, it must not have been nah, maybe six months, nine months later, something along those lines when there's a, there was then a very active uh, part of MUFON out here called L.A. MUFON, Los Angeles MUFON. And at that time, Don Waldron was the guy directing it. And I discovered they were having Guy Kirkwood come in. Now... Remember, MUFON was always billing itself as an organization using scientific principles.
2: Don, let me interrupt you for two reasons. One, there's an awful lot of dons in this story. Just just an observation, but we're gonna have to take a break here, so we'll be back to get to the end of this and maybe with a little bit of time left to talk about the secret space program which is going to be the theme of the MUFON symposium coming up here in just a few days as it turns out Uh, like I say before you'll be more information at my blog www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and we will return right after this so stick around
1: Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Remember, 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere,
2: 24-7-365. Proving once again that I tell the truth, we are in fact back. I am joined with Don Ecker. He was talking about the infamous Guy Noel, or Guy Kirkwood, and uh, MUFON L.A. had just invited him to speak at their, I think it's rather large uh, gatherings there in in Los Angeles. So take it away, Don. Yeah. And uh, he
3: had been invited in. And I mean, this is after this expose. And everybody that mattered knew that Guy Kirkwood was as full of uh, malarkey as a Christmas turkey. So I called up Don Waldrop, who was then the guy directing L.A. Mofa. I got him on the phone and I said, uh, Don, this is Don Ecker. And you're right, Kevin, there were a lot of Dons <laughs> in the story. And I said, Don, I said, I got a question to ask you. And he said, yeah. And hey, Walter was a, always a very congenial guy. And uh, I'm one of those guys that I cut right to the, uh, the chase. OK, I, I, I don't like to beat around the bush. And I said, what in the hell are you doing? And he said, what do you mean? I said, you've got Guy Kirkwood coming in to speak at MUFON. I said, everybody knows this guy is a total fraud. He was never in the Air Force. He was never an airline pilot. Although I I will say on the side, Kevin, that he, at some point in his fraudulent career, did in fact get a, a civilian pilot license. But I said, What are you guys doing? You know he's not legitimate. And he said, well, you know, we like to bring people in that will pack the audience. And I said, you like to bring people in that will pack the audience? He said, oh, yeah. He said, well, you know, uh, we've we've got a lot of people, and they they like to just hear these stories, and uh, then they can make up your own mind. I said, Don, how can you for one second say then – that MUFON is a scientifically-oriented organization. If you have known frauds, well, he had no answer for that. But then there were a lot of other people that was then having Kirkwood come around and, and give talks. Art Bell brought him on the air when he was doing Coast to Coast. Stephen Greer was going to bring him to his infamous... Uh, press club get together back in dc a number of years ago until i kicked up enough of a fuss that it became very obvious that even greer couldn't bring this guy in and you know
2: what's you know what's interesting don is that uh looking at the program for the move on symposium that's coming up here there were a number of people on there one guy actually two of them, I think, claim to be some something of time travelers. And I asked John uh, Jan Harzon about that, the same thing. How could you promote these people who, I mean, the story is preposterous. You're traveling through time. One guy was recru- recruited as a six-year-old boy into something, uh, some organization. I've, and I'm thinking, this sounds an awful lot like Ender's Game, which is a science fiction novel that practically everybody loves. And Harzan's response was, that he wanted to present a good program for the the people coming to the symposium and let them make up their mind about the validity of the stories being told. I mean, it's the same excuse you were given, what, 20 years ago when you were exposing uh, Mel Noel and Guy Kirkwood for who he really was. And now here we are in 2017 – Getting the same sort of nonsensical answers out of MUFON.
3: Well, that's because MUFON has been and always will be led by amateurs. Okay, There is no one with a modicum of sense on how to conduct real investigations, real research, people that were professional and have a zero tolerance for malarkey. That's why when you say UFOs out in the mainstream, people look and snicker because of this kind of business. So the bottom line is that, uh, Kevin, this uh, so-called research community will never proceed an inch further. As a matter of fact, they're losing ground by the yard.
2: But couldn't you say legitimately that that MUFON is more of a business operation as opposed to a scientific investigation and therefore presenting programs with uh, people like this Corey Good on it, uh, who's one of the time travelers, uh, is putting people into the auditorium. And isn't that really the mission of MUFON in today's world as opposed to scientific investigation?
3: Here's the bottom line as far as I myself, and I'm only speaking for me, how I see it. There are many, many, many people out in uh, the country, around the world, that have genuine curiosity and questions about this. MUFON presents his, itself as a, an operation where maybe these people will get answers. When, in fact, all it is, and this is how I see it, as a money suck, okay, a money suck from the Rubes, okay, and they'll they'll get their monthly publication, and they can read all about it. They may go online, they may go to a Mufon webpage, but they're no further along than we were sixty years ago. Kevin.
2: Well, I would say actually seventy years ago, but splitting a fine hair. But and that's sort of my point that that Mufon, which may have started as a Investigative organization, regardless of how it started and, and Coral Lorenzen in fact told me that uh uh Andrus had come to her and suggested he wanted to organize the u f o investigators from apro in the midwest, so it was originally the midwest u f o organization or network and uh and she was quite livid about him sucking the uh some of the membership away in that that vein, but it is is morphed into something that is more oriented into, as you say, bringing money in as opposed to investigating UFOs. There have, been, there have been
3: a lot of scandals recently associated around MUFON. And, and you know, this is another way to look at it. And um, I see it as a fish that is rotting from the head down. Now, this inner circle that people are a part of, if you have five grand a year to sink into it, okay, my question would be, what input do these people and their five grand have for the overall organization? Because I'm presuming there, there are, what, several thousands of, of members of MUFON uh, around the country and perhaps around the globe. What do those members have to say about this? And I I have seen... Online, and granted, uh, you know, we we all know that if it's on the Internet, it must be true. But I've seen a lot of people state that as far as they are concerned, MUFON no longer has any credibility whatsoever. And, uh, well, I, I felt like that for, uh, well, to be honest, and I hate
2: to say this, but almost 30 years I felt like that. Well, what that does is... is put an age on you, kind of like us talking about being Vietnam veterans, certainly makes us older people. But on this inner circle, you ask about the influence. John Herzog told me that there they really is no influence, that they can call the, uh, him as the executive director whenever they want, as anybody can. But if you read the, the website for the inner circle, you'll find out that actually um, they provide guidance to MUFON. So well, there is something being put in there. This. Let me ask you this. Would you pump
3: five grand every year into an organization if you got nothing out of it? If, if you got the guy's telephone number that any member
2: could get, why in the hell would you, would you spend five grand a year? Absolutely from? correct. I, that's the same question I've had repeatedly. Why would I give you guys five grand <laughs> if I get no special perks? Uh, out of it, and I can't call the director and say, you know, I'm, you know, I would wish we would do this or that or the other thing, and that's why we end up with programs with people like uh, uh, the time travelers on and talking about the secret space program that none of us have ever heard of, uh, and that oh, was really w- what place, I wanted to talk you about, but we're running out of time. Yes. Wait, wait a minute, the secret space program.
3: Now there definitely is. You know how I know? I heard John David Morton. Who, incidentally, now is a felon on the lam, okay, being pursued by federal authorities? Juan Bell, and Mufon talking about his insider knowledge of the. Uh, this is incidentally a guy that's a psychic, and uh, he's seen a lot of psychic things. Go back and look up some of those Bell programs, and uh, but but Sean uh, Sean talked all about that secret space program.
2: Well, let me, let me interrupt because, A, I'm running out of time here and point out you're being sarcastic about him being the source of this, this important information, being a legitimate source, I should say.
3: Yeah, but I'm of, not of being this. sarcastic about him being on the lam.
2: Oh, I, I understand that. And, and there's been an awful lot of stuff about him coming out as well. Don, I hate to do this. I got to let you go. We're out of time. Um, we didn't get into the meat of what I wanted to do, uh, but we got a lot of good information about, uh, MUFON and what it's done in the past. And some of the people it's promoted in the past without, uh, I guess, providing the proper vetting of those people and giving them a platform at their symposium, um, to talk about their insider information, and often they have no credentials or can present no documentation. Uh, If you ask any veteran for his DD Form 214, he's going to be able to give it to you. Uh, I've got several of them from my various times on active duty with the military, so I can provide you with a DD Form 214 to point all of that sort of thing out. Uh, There's stuff about the MUFON inner circle at my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. So you can take a look there. There'll be more information from what Don and I have talked about here today as well when I get a chance to put that up. Uh, Next week, I'm going to be joined by Antonio uh, Alejandro Rojas about uh, UFOs and things that are going on at his end. And I don't know why I'm having trouble with the Spanish surnames today. I can usually do better with that. Don, again, thank you for joining us. We will be back next week with another episode of A Different Different Perspective. So thanks for listening.